For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. You can be seated. This past week, uh, as I was thinking about this verse, it brought me back to when I was preparing to get married. Uh, My wife and I uh, are are, going to celebrate two years of marriage here in a couple weeks at the end of this month. And I was thinking about this verse, and I was thinking about when I was preparing to get married. And I remember at my bachelor party, uh, don't worry all of you that are religious, we didn't do anything crazy at our bachelor party. We just ate, played games, and and then we did this, what I'm about to talk about. I had all the married uh, men tell me about their experience of being married and tell me one thing that they, uh, that they learned through their marriage. Um, and I remember at first they all said, uh, they all said, this is the best piece of advice I can give you. The wife is always right. Can I hear, can I hear an amen from all the wives in the house? So, so then I looked at him and I said, hey, I don't want that advice. Give me something else. Anything else. But just give me something else. And, and what I took from what they told me uh, was this. The number one thing I took from their advice at my bachelor party was this. Uh, love is more than words alone. Love is an action. Love is an action. It's more than words alone. And in this scripture that we just read, it doesn't end with love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It goes on in the next sentence to say uh, that Christ loved and so he gave his life for the church. Love without action is not true love. Love and action have to go hand in hand or it's powerless. You see, it's one thing to say, I love my church. We've got a big old uh, billboard that Pastor Braden and a couple other people put together. They worked hard on this. Uh, it says, I love my church. We've got, I love my church in our bulletins. We've got, I love my church t-shirts. But it's one thing. It's easy to say, I love my church. It's another thing to actually walk it out and truly love your church. According to a poll conducted by Barna Research, 88% of American adults say that my religious faith is very important in my life. You never think that, uh, uh, according to the media and what we hear, you would never think that that's true. 50% say that a growing number of people I know are tired of the usual type of church experience. I am too, honestly. 75% say they sense that God is motivating people to stay connected with Him, but in different ways and through different types of experiences than in the past. I believe more than ever, people are looking for a church that is genuine, real, and authentic. A church that's not full of fluff. A church that's not fake and has all these facades on it. I believe people are looking for a church where, where the preacher stands behind the pulpit and, and they don't give ear-tickling messages. And I thank God that this church is not that kind of church. I believe people are wanting an experience with God and they're tired of all the politics and junk that most churches are consumed with. Most churches have more junk within the congregation than the city dump. And that's the truth. Unbelievers across America walk through the church doors every Sunday morning like you did this morning. And I believe that when the church members start to truly love their church and that becomes normal, that's the experience that the unchurched and the unbelievers 
are looking for. When we start to walk in love, when we start to truly uh, live like Jesus lived, when we truly walk in the love of Jesus, I believe that is the experience that unbelievers are looking for. It's not more high-tech worship and more high-tech uh, videos and, and, and where the sets are, are, are state-of-the-art and all that. I think that's important, that's good, but I think people are looking for love. I think people are looking for acceptance. I think people are looking for genuine, authentic believers where they, where they mean what they say and they say what they mean. And my main point, or the big idea for this morning, the one thing that I truly want you to get this morning, if you don't get anything else, the one thing that I want you to get this morning, my big idea is this. In order for us to truly love our church, we need to understand that we are the church. We need to understand that we are the church. Look at your neighbor and say, I am the church. The church, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not a service. It's a living, breathing organism. The church is you and I, and we're just a part of what God is doing in the world. That's the amazing thing about serving God. God's vision is so much bigger than you and I as individuals. It's so much bigger than just our local church. God has a worldwide vision. If you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you're there, say, got it. First Corinthians chapter 12. All right. And it says this in verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the, with the church, with the body of Christ. If you go down a couple verses to verse 27, it says this, All of you together, say together, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Now, in order to understand this portion of Scripture, we need to understand the context in which it was written. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the local church of God in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was, I guess you could say, the New York City of Greece in, in Paul's day. Because of its location, uh, it had become the largest city in Greece. It was considered a prosperous city. It, it was uh, people from different cultures, religious backgrounds, uh, different views, different colors... All of these different types of people gathered in the city of Corinth. Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church to instruct them on many of their views. But chapter 12, specifically, he wrote to them to instruct them about their specific local church and how it should function. You've got to understand the context in order to understand this verse. Uh, The apostle Paul compared the local church to a human body. Notice that he didn't compare the church to a business. Notice that Paul didn't compare the church to a building. He didn't compare the church to four walls. Notice 
the, the Apostle Paul compared the church, the local church in Corinth, to a living, acting, breathing body. Paul used his words very specifically, and he used this analogy very specifically. Now, let's make it personal this morning. Let's make it personal this morning. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus is the head of the body, and we are the hands, feet, and arms, is the way we live our lives a proper reflection of Him? Think about that for a moment. Is the way you're living your life today a proper reflection of Jesus if you and I together are His body? In other words, if we are, the, if we are one body, then when we talk about each other, when we gossip about each other, when we judge each other, when we slander one another, we are essentially trying to commit suicide because we're destroying our own body. Think about that for a moment. That's incredible to think about, that when we destroy one another's reputation, when we hurt one another, we're hurting each other. If we are the church, and we're the body of Christ then, then uh, we should be functioning outside of our church services. Are you hearing me this morning? It's easy to put on a show and act spiritual at church, but are we representing Jesus in our workplace? Are we representing Jesus to our neighbors? Are we representing Jesus to our friends? You know, the thing about a church service is it's easy to put on a show. You get up in the morning, you get your makeup on, you do your hair, you put your clothes on, uh, you come to church, and when everybody says, how are you doing, you say, I'm doing great, when you're dying inside, uh, when you're passionless, when you haven't had a passion for Jesus in about two years, you can just put on a show and put on a front, and nobody ever knows what you're really going through. If we're truly the body of Christ, then we need to be representing Jesus outside of the church services. Well, I don't want to push Jesus on anyone and put a bad taste in their mouths. Many of you might think that. What puts a bad taste in people's mouths is finding out that you're a Christian and you never said a word about Him. What puts a bad taste in people's mouths is that you didn't live your life in a way that caused other people to think in their minds, what is different about that person? What is going on in that person's lives that they're always full of joy? They're always encouraging people. They're always, they, they've, they've, they've just got this glow about them. What is different about this person? People should be thinking those kinds of things if we're truly the church and we're truly going to walk like the church. Do you know what I think holds people back from being the church? This is what I think holds so many people back from being the, church, being the church. I believe through religion, tradition, and our misinterpretation of Scripture, we have a certain way of thinking about the church that is nothing more than myth. That is nothing more than myth. I believe our view and our understanding of the church is what holds us back from truly being the church. How many of you in this place have heard of the show Mythbusters? On the Discovery Channel, most of you have heard it. It's a really, it's a pretty cool show. And basically, what the whole show is about is they take a they they take a myth, okay, and and, and through science and experience or and, and experiments, what they do is they try to prove whether the myth could really happen or if it's a myth. And and they, that's why they're called MythBusters. And one of the episodes that I saw recently was how many of you have heard the the term uh, "knock your socks off"? 
Well, these guys, these guys tried to see it, whether it was true or not. And what they did was they went into this big old dirt field and they took 500 pounds of explosives with them. And they set up mannequins all over the place in different locations and they put socks on these mannequins. And then they went back and they blew up the, the, the explosives and, they, and basically they wanted to see uh, if we could truly have a hard enough impact to literally knock our socks off without killing ourselves. And they came to the conclusion that you cannot knock someone's socks off without destroying their whole body. So that myth was busted. Now, how many of you know God is not into myths? How many of you know that God is not into myths? He's into truth. And so for the next several minutes, I'm going to try to bust some myths about the church and help us to get a better understanding of what the church truly is and and how we uh, uh, individually and corporately can walk in our destiny as the church. The first myth that I want to hit on this morning is this, and I talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, The church is the building that we're in right now. That's the first myth that I want to talk to you about today. Uh, The church building is so connected with our idea of church that we equate the two without even thinking about it. We equate the church to a building. We equate the church to these four walls surrounding us right here. We equate the church to the bricks around us and, and the parking lot and the sign. That's what we equate the church to. Now, what did we say to our children this morning? Hurry up or we're going to be late to church. Or you elbowed your spouse just a minute ago and said, it's freezing in this church. Or maybe as I got up to speak, you thought to yourself, what's brown sugar doing preaching this morning at church? (laughs) The church building is so etched in our minds as being the church that we subconsciously make the two equal when they're not. This is a building. This is sheetrock. This is bricks. This is carpet. We, you and I, are the church. Nowhere in the New Testament are the words church, the Greek word iglesia, the word church, temple of God or house of God used to refer to buildings. Nowhere in the New Testament is that word, that Greek word iglesia, used to refer to to a building. In fact, to a first century Christian, calling a building the church would have been like calling your wife an apartment complex or calling your brother a skyscraper. Men, don't call your wives an apartment complex or you might be sleeping on the couch tonight. Don't do that. But that's what what it would sound like. If you said, I'm going to church, and you're talking about a church building, a first century believer would have been like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm the church. You're the church. We're, we're, We're a living, breathing organism here. Acts chapter 7 and verse 48 says this, However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together, say together, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? It's very clear in Scripture that the church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not a service. It's people. It's humans. It's you and I. This idea that the church is a building is a myth. Hopefully y'all aren't scared of popping balloons. 
The second myth that I want to talk to you about this morning is this. That the church leadership or the paid staff should do all the work of the ministry. The church leadership, the lead pastor or the paid staff, should do all the work of the ministry. Pastor talked about this a couple weeks ago and I felt that I needed to bring it back up. Ephesians chapter 4 and 11 says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Some church people think that the pastor and the staff are hired servants. Some people think that the church, that the church leaders and staff are, are, are uh, yes men to them or whatever they want to do. But, but Jesus said that these gifts, these full-time ministers, the staff, the pastors, are gifts to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Jesus gave the fivefold ministry or full-time ministers to the church's gifts. Our responsibility as the leaders of the church is not to do everything. It's our responsibility to equip, to train, and to teach you to do God's work and build up His church. Are you hearing me this morning? If we are the church, then it's our responsibility to live a life that's pleasing to God and example to the world. It's our responsibility. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's our responsibility as individuals to live lives that, that are examples to other people. If we're, if we're the church, then it's our responsibility to witness to our friends, family, and co-workers. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's not the lead pastor to do all the witnessing. It's not the, the gift of evangelist, that person, to do all the witnessing. It's each and every one of us together to do that. That's the mission of the church. You see, this whole, this is what this whole I love my church campaign is about. Uh, we as the church taking our rightful position and being the reach of Jesus Christ himself. This campaign isn't about telling you how awesome, amazing, wonderful, great, incredible that New Bethel is. That's not what this campaign is about. It's not a, a, a New Bethel uh, 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 promotion campaign. That's not what it's about. This campaign uh, is about you walking in your destiny as an important part of our church. It's about you stepping out in faith and walking in your destiny as the church. It's about you using your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to glorify Jesus. To glorify Jesus. When we do that, the church will be fine. This myth that the pastor is supposed to do everything keeps the body of believers from using their gifts, talents, and abilities to do the work for God. Because we think it's the pastor's responsibility. He's, uh, it's the staff's responsibility. It's, they're paid to do it. What do they do during the day anyway? If you ever want to come to the church, you can hang out with me for a day and see what I do. This myth that is steeped in religion and tradition, stunts the growth of the believer and causes them to become stagnant, apathetic, pew-warmers that expects everyone else to do something. I'm sorry, but if you wanted an ear-tickling, fluffy message this morning, I'm not the right man for that. I'm going to try to tell it how it is, and I'm going to try to live by that to the best of my ability. 
Yesterday, I, I, it, God has put on my heart the last several weeks to get to know my neighbors a little bit more and maybe at some point be able to reach them and witness to them just, just, just to, to be the church in my neighborhood, make this thing practical. And so last night, uh, my wife and I baked some cookies and uh, we put them in, in some nice decorative bags and we just knocked on our neighbor's doors and said, hey, uh, this is who we are. We've been your neighbors for several months. We haven't got to meet you. We baked you some cookies. And if you ever need anything, please don't hesitate to let us know. And what we were trying to do is just build a bridge with people. You don't have to get the bullhorn out and say, if you don't stop your sin right now, you're going to hell. Uh, you, you don't have to do that. At some point, you have to bring them to a decision. But you might turn them off if you just jump right in. You need to build a rapport with people. You need to build trust with people. They need to know that you're not in it just for what they can do for you. You're not in it just to convert them, but you really care about them and you really love them. That's what this thing is about. I want to challenge you this week to do a random act of kindness for someone you're trying to reach out to. I want to challenge you. I don't want this challenge to go in one ear and out the other. I want to challenge you to do a random act of kindness for someone that you're trying to reach out to. Maybe your neighbor. Maybe your coworker. If you're going to uh, school, maybe someone at your school. Maybe a, uh, just a stranger at the grocery store at the mall. I want each of you to stretch yourselves and get out of your comfort zone and do a random act of kindness for someone. And I'm not talking about someone from the church. That's easy. I'm, not, I'm talking about someone outside of the church. I'm talking about someone that is unchurched. Um, and once you do this, if you feel comfortable, you don't have to, but I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like you to call the office. Uh, if you have my phone number, text me, Facebook us. Facebook one of our staff and tell us how God used you in your random act of kindness. And we want to highlight these testimonies through this whole campaign. Because th- this isn't about us packing out our services on Sunday morning. This is about us being the church and reaching other people. That's what this thing is about here. And so I want you, uh, because you are going to have testimonies, even if it's simple as someone just had a a shocking look on their face when I did this random act of kindness, do that. I know a guy uh, that he he was checking out his groceries and, and, and someone was right in front of him. He just paid for their groceries. If you're blessed enough, do something like that. I know another guy, he was at Starbucks this past week, and, and a guy, he just paid for the guy's coffee right in front of him and, and just blessed him and, and had an open door to witness to him. This is what this thing's about. So I want you to do something and then contact our church office and give us testimonies of how God used you. The idea that the lead pastor and paid staff should do all the work of the ministry is a myth. Uh-oh. The third myth that I want to hit on this morning is this. You don't need a commitment to a local church. You don't need a commitment to a local church. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Did you know Paul uh, or, or the author of this book here was talking to a local church? Do not let us neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
Many people I've witnessed to or counseled tell me this. I don't need or, uh, organized religion or a church to have a relationship with God. I don't need that. My question to them is this. What do you want? Unorganized religion? Is that what you want? Because in my book, that's called chaos. Anything that's unorganized uh, eventually becomes chaotic. It's true. You don't have to be committed to a local church to have a relationship with Jesus. But I strongly believe you have to be connected to a local church to grow as a Christian. I strongly believe this. I'm I'm totally for street evangelism. I'm totally for outreach ministries. But if you lead someone to Christ on the street, you need to have somewhere to plug them into so that they can be discipled, so that they can be shepherded, so that they can be taken care of, so that they can be nurtured. Because when you lead somebody to Christ, they're babies. And you would never you, you never look at your baby and say, feed yourself, change your own diaper. What do I look like to you? You would never do that. But we do that with baby Christians all the time. We say, oh, now you're saved. Just find out what to do somehow. They're not going to find out what to do. In fact, Jesus never said make converts. He said make disciples. He never said make converts. It doesn't end there. We have to be in the long run. We have to nurture them. We have to develop them. We have to love on them. We have to discipline them. It's not a very fun word in our culture, but we do. We have, to, we have to correct people sometimes, and we have to be corrected. We are never above correction, no matter high, how high on the leadership totem pole you go. Oh, man. I don't know how I'm going to get up there. Yeah, I, I, Indians can't jump. White men can't jump and Indians can't jump either. Uh, Here's why I think committing to a local church is important. I think everyone needs to hear the Word of God taught systematically so that we can understand it more. I, I believe we need to learn from teachers, from men and women of God that study the Scriptures and that can teach it to us systematically. I think it's important for us to corporately worship with other believers. Jesus said that when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Jesus was in our midst this morning. I think it's very important that we come together and worship corporately. Uh, That's what heaven's all about, corporately worshiping God on His throne. I think it's valuable to connect relationally with other believers to encourage each other. Most Christians backslide because... Uh, they, they haven't built the proper relationships within their church to help them. And when they're struggling, they isolate themselves and they have no one to go to. They have no one to connect with. They have no one to say, can you pray for me or, or can you give me advice in this situation? I know you've gone through it before. They have nobody to do that with. And so they backslide and they have nobody to help them. I think the local church is a place where you can serve and use your spiritual gifts and talents. For example, if you have the gift of hospitality, we're going to have the opportunity in the near future for you to open up your homes and be a host home for our connection groups. That's using your gifts. That's using uh, uh, things that God has put in, in your heart. If you have the gift of hospitality, uh, uh, come, come be a greeter. Come be a greeter. People will come into the church because of the location or because of a sign or because of a website or something like that. But they'll come back to a church 
based on their experience with people, based on if they were greeted, based on if the people entering the church had a frown or a scowl on their face, or if they smiled and they genuinely looked like they're happy to see the people that came in. If you have a talent to sing, join the worship team. If you have a gift of singing or a gift to play an instrument, you have opportunities to join the worship team. If you have a gift of working with kids, or here's my plug, or a gift of working with teenagers, come join the youth ministry team. I'm always looking for people. The teenagers are all, always need mentors that have been through some experience in, in life. If you find yourself, when you talk, kids or teenagers listen, you need to approach us and let us know so we can plug you in. There are so many opportunities for you to use your gifts and talents in this local church. I think the local church is where we get our marching orders to go out into the world and make an impact and be the church. We come together as a body of believers so that we can hear our marching orders from Jesus and then we go out and do something with what we learned. If we don't, then there's no reason to come to church. You're just going through with emotions and it's just tradition and religion and it's powerless. This idea that it's not important to be committed to the local church is myth. And I'm going to save the last balloon for my last point here. So I can't pop it. And I want to end with this last myth. And if the worship team could make their way up, uh, please come up. Uh, The last myth that I want to talk to you about is this. If you honor the man of God... It might go to his head. If you honor the man of God, it might go to his head. One of the reasons I love my church is because I love my pastor. And I'm not just saying this because he's my boss. I'm saying this because I truly mean it. We have an awesome pastor. We have a great pastor that cares for each and every one of us, that prays for us, that thinks about us. Honoring those that are in authority over us is biblical and it's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. If you think to yourself, I'm not, I don't need to honor anybody, I'm my own person. Well, you're not walking in the heart of God. You're walking in pride and arrogance. David honored Saul's authority even though Saul repeatedly tried to kill him. When Noah became drunk and was lying naked inside his tent, his youngest son dishonored him by not covering him up, but telling his brothers what happened. And, and, the, and that brother was cursed for it. When his other brothers were blessed because they came in and covered their father's sin, they covered his weakness. The Bible tells us very clearly to honor our parents and all those in authority over us. The Bible clearly tells us this. When we honor those in authority over us, honor will come back to us. If you find yourself constantly being disrespected and dishonored, if you find yourself that way, instead of lashing out on people, why don't you look inward? Are you honoring those in authority over your life? Because honor always comes back. What you sow, you will reap. If you give Pastor Benson or one of the staff members, Pastor Braden, Pastor Pam, Pastor Houston a compliment, or you do something nice for them, don't worry about it going to their head. Trust me. Trust me. You've got to trust that the leadership is more mature than if you say something nice, it'll go to their head and they'll become puffed up and prideful or something. You've got to understand. We don't understand the pressure and stress that goes with leading a church. Or maybe, just maybe, your act of kindness would really bless or encourage Pastor Benson. You don't know what what kind of uh, demonic attack 
that, that a pastor goes through while he's warring for your souls. You don't understand. Because you don't understand unless you're in that position. And maybe what you do for him that's kind or nice will really bless or encourage him. We're taught through TV, movies, music, news media, even sports to dishonor and criticize our leaders. We're taught. And so we've got to untrain ourselves and say, you know what? It's okay if I show honor. It's okay if I show respect. I believe creating a culture of honor in our lives is a major key to fulfilling our destiny because it opens up so many blessings. When you walk in honor, when, when you walk with that honor for your authority, when you walk with that honor for your mom and dad, for your teachers, for your boss, for your church leaders, it opens up so many doors for God to bless you. It opens up so much, and I believe that that's a, a key. And I want to end this morning by reading you a post that Celinda, one of the students in our youth group, posted on my Facebook recently. And and I'm reading this not to puff myself up or Priscilla up. God knows my heart. God knows my motives. But this is what she said. Hey, just realize today that you and Priscilla survived a year with us. Laugh out loud. Survived is definitely the right word. I'm just kidding. I love you, Peter. She goes on to say, y'all have impacted the lives of so many youth, including me, and you have no idea how much you're loved. May God continue to bless y'all. And I thank God for bringing y'all. Can you tell she's texting y'all, y'all, y'all? I thank God for bringing y'all to us and blessing us with y'all, even though we probably didn't deserve such amazingly awesome people as you and Priscilla. I love you guys. Honestly, I don't, I, I don't think of myself like that. I'm just trying to do the will of God. I'm just trying to love our teenagers. I, I'm just trying to serve the Lord in what He's called me to do. And, mo- and, I never, and I never think I'm making an impact like this. But when, when I saw that on my Facebook, that ministered to me. That encouraged me. That didn't make me feel puffed up. That didn't make me feel like, oh, look how good I'm doing. I, because I don't feel like that. I'm just doing, trying to be obedient to the Lord. But what it did to me was encourage me and, and made me feel like, wow, maybe if I'm making an impact in one person, everything that I sacrifice, everything that I do, all my times of prayer, all, all, all this stuff that I do for these kids, it's actually doing something. It just encouraged me. And, and that's, how, that's how the pastoral leaders truly feel when they hear something encouraging. And this idea that if we honor the man of God, it might go to his head is a... Let's go ahead and pray this morning.